Open up your Bibles this morning. Find your way to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to step back into our study of the book of Ephesians. I've entitled the entire series, Walk as Children of Light. I've also given that title to the last several messages, mostly because we're getting down to the parts of the book where Paul is uh, giving us some very practical, some very applicable, some very uh, undodgeable, if I can put it that way, some undodgeable things that we can't just uh, treat mentally in our heads and say, well, this is true, or this is how it looks, or this is, this is um, I agree that this is what God has in mind, but uh, we have to actually look at our lives and say, does this, does this find itself to be evident in my life? Is this, what, is this, what, I, uh, uh, is this what, what comes out of me when, when situations are tough? Aaron talked this morning about, you know, when life isn't as good as it, uh, you'd like it to be, when, when there's struggles or when uh, someone's uh, not, not able to help or when there's frustrations and we face those things in our home when we, uh, we have tired kids or we have tired parents or we don't feel very good or something's going on. It just, it makes, it, it makes what's out in here come out, right? So the question is, what's in here? What, what's on the inside? We're gonna get there. Ephesians chapter four, I'd like to read through, uh, verse, starting in verse 25. We're gonna read all the way to the end of the chapter. And I think we're gonna make a, get, a, get to the end of the chapter by today, but uh, we'll see. Ephesians chapter four, verse 25, follow along carefully as we read these words. Paul penned them to the group of believers at Ephesus, and we are hearing them today for our edification, our benefit, our building up. Therefore, he says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Holy Spirit, would you teach us this morning? Thank you that you inspired these words to be written. And now this morning, decades, centuries later, we read them and we ask the same God, the same Holy Spirit to speak to us and inform us and in fact correct us where need be. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So we began this walk as, ch as children of light, the, the specific messages with some practical things that even still in them had, had some, some ways that we could just sort of give mental assent to them. You know, we talked about uh, this, is how the, this is how those who walk as Gentiles walk. And, and sure, we could, we could think of what that has. I hope we were thinking of what that might have to do with us or as we walk in, in the light, what that might have to do with us. But it's possible that it doesn't. It doesn't have to, right? Because we can just say, well, yeah, the, the Gentiles, there's people out there, and oh, of course, I'm in church this morning, so of course, I'm, I'm walking in the light. Of course, I'm walking as a child of light. That, that makes sense. Well, we're about to get to some things where uh, Paul is going to be defining what does it look like, like hands and feet, shoe leather on the ground. What does it look like to be walking, as a, uh, walking in the light or walking as a child of light? What does that actually look like? So, 
We're going to jump in. The first verse I want to bring us to, the first place we're going to launch from, the first discussion we're going to have is uh, the very first verse I read, which is to say that uh, we should put away falsehood and let each one of us speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, the falsehood part, that, that, that first part, having put away falsehood, is a contrast to the words he just said. And it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here, so I'm going to go back and just read through the last verse before we got there. He says, just as a way of reminder, maybe not the last verse, a summary of the last couple of verses. He says that when we have heard Christ, when we hear Jesus Christ, that we then put off the old self, we're renewed in the, uh, in the inner man, we're renewed in the minds and, and inside of us, the spirit of our minds, and we put on the new self, and the new self, this new self, what he calls a new self, actually, according to scripture, is, is our original self, is how God created us, is what God meant, intended for us to be. He says that new self was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So when he says in the very next line, having put away falsehood, that's the contrast he's setting up. Here is your true self as God created you to be. That's what God wanted you to be. Remember we read way back in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus, redeemed in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand like before the creation of the world, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your true self, hear this, your true self, how God designed you to be and how he des- what he designed you to do was to be like him in true righteousness and holiness. The false self, now the word there actually is the word pseudos, which is where we get the word pseudo from, P-S-E-U-D-E-U-D-O. Pseudo. It's the word Greek word pseudos. It's, it's, it's the false self. It's the fake one. That's the fake one. You see, the problem is most of us, or many times, we actually operate under the, some kind of assumption that the true self of us is, is what you get out of us now, and that's not actually true. That's the fake self, the one that's been arrested by sin and the one that's been filled with selfishness and the one that wants to put itself on the throne instead of God on the throne. That's actually the false self. That's not how God created you. Now, I want to be careful because according to Scripture, we've all been born into Adam's sin, right? So it's not like we can say, I mean, mean, the reality is from the moment we're born, that's where we find ourselves. But that's not what God intended. That's what I mean when I say that the true self. That's not what God intended. So putting away the false self, putting putting away the, the old man, that's just a way of saying that, the first place he's going to say, I'm going to define for you what it means to walk as children of light is He's going to start talking about how we interact with each other. Notice what he says. He says we should speak truth with our neighbor because we are all members one of another. It has been the theme, if you've caught this, it's been the theme of the letter so far through and through as we've been coming through Ephesians over and over and over again, Paul, right? He, he says to us, you should see yourself as a, as a body. You should recognize that you guys, remember all those together with words? You're, you were raised together with, you were seated together with, but not even just that, you were being built together with, you were, you were citizens together with, all this together with stuff, together with, together with, together with, and the very first thing he's going to put his finger on to say, this is what it means to walk as children of light, has to do with how we do this together with stuff. Speak truth with your neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, just real quickly, because it's just to establish a foundation, but I want to just take you back and read a couple of Old Testament passages to help you see that this is actually what God intended. 
when he called the children of Israel, he gave them, uh, he gave them commands. He said, you should walk in these ways. And if you would read in Leviticus chapter 9, I, by the way, I have all these references on the handout, so we move through them rather quickly sometimes. Uh, if you have a, it's on the backside of your bulletin, if you want to follow along, all the references I'm going to read this morning, if I remember to read all of them, they're all going to be, uh, they're all going to be there on your page, so you can go back and read them. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, I have a section that's titled, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. And this is what God commands his people to do. And it's going to touch on a couple different areas, but I'll just read the entire section. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Remember, this is to be, this is, if, if you guys start to think about who your neighbors are, there, there's at least one idea right there. You should leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal he goes from the fields into what we do, uh, whether we take stuff that's not ours. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bury grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now that's where, G where God began with the people of Israel. This is the commandments. If you would read the prophet Jeremiah, you recognize that one of the complaints that God had with the people of Israel, one of the reasons they were taken into exile was because they weren't doing so great with this whole thing. In Jeremiah chapter 9, you read these words. Jeremiah says them, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. That's a way to start off an address to your people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go away from them. For they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. And this is why he calls them that. Listen. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. They, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother. Whew. Let everyone be aware of his, beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slander. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. Heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit, they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Remember every time in the Leviticus passage, every time that God got done saying one little section about what it meant to, to love your neighbors, he ended it with, for I am the Lord. And here the charge is given. It's not happening. The neighbors are, are speaking lies and deceiving them, each other. You can't trust anybody. That's the picture that Jeremiah is painting. Boy, anybody feel like we're at home in our culture today by what he's reading? You can't trust anybody. Nobody's going to tell the truth anymore. Everybody's going to get out of what they can get out of. They're going to take every advantage they can. They're, they're all about slandering the people around them. All those things. And he says, if you read the very last verse, he says, they're doing all that. It's because they refuse to know me. Now, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus is still talking about this theme of, 
of speaking truth to our neighbors, of, of how we interact with each other. One day when a man came to test him and say, what, can, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of God? Jesus said, well, what do you think you have to do? And the man actually answered correctly. Remember the story? This is from Luke uh, chapter 10. The man answered correctly. He said, here's what I think. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself or end your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you're right. You're right. Now, do you know what comes after that? What's the next thing that uh, the man asked Jesus? No, it's not selling all that you have, although that's another instance where, what? I think, yeah, because the very next thing he does, he wants to get himself out of it, right? He says, well, who is my neighbor? Who does this apply to? And then, of course, Jesus tells a story that we say, that we call the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And he makes a point. So we see Jesus reinforcing what God originally told to his people that they should do, and what he complained, his complaint with them was that they were not doing, and Jesus confirms, and he, in the same swoop, he also gets rid of all of our, um, all of our safeguards as to say, well, this is who my neighbor is and who I have to be nice to, and this is not who my neighbor is, right? By the way, Paul picked up the same theme in Romans 13, verse 10, where he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. That's why Jesus could say all the law and the prophets hang on those two commands, loving God and loving your neighbor. You see, it's the theological part we get down, right? We're supposed to love God. It's the practical part that we aren't always so good at working out, loving our neighbors. So, what a shock, right? When Paul says, the first thing I'm gonna tell you about when it comes to walking as children of light, of putting off the old darkened self and being renewed inside and putting on the new self that's created as God actually designed you to be, to be in true righteousness and holiness, the first thing I'm gonna talk about is how you interact with the people around you. Just full stop. It can be the people in your church. It can be the people in your job. It can be the people in your house. It can be the people, all kind, but how you interact with the people around you. And I would tell you, if you go back, if we now find ourselves back in Ephesians chapter four, I would tell you the next verses have, that's, that's exactly where Paul's going. That's exactly what he's gonna talk about. He's gonna say, let me point out a few things that should be true in your life as you think about your interactions with people around you. So just to give a summary, I'm gonna go back to verse 24, which we didn't actually read today, but it's the definition of true righteousness and holiness, and we're gonna jump right in. What we're going to find is, I, I'm going to, uh, the, way I, the way I broke it apart today, the way I see this is we're going to find it in uh, three sets of couplings, three, three couples of two verses, or three times where two verses are talking about the same kind of thing. In verse 26 and 27, Paul says, I want you to know or understand some things about anger and the anger you have toward others and how this plays into this idea that we are supposed to speak truth. We're supposed to be the truth in love with our neighbors, with those around us. It is one of the first places you're gonna to look to to see whether you are walking as a child of light or not is, how you, how, is, what, is what kind of role anger plays as you deal with other people. You, in, you see, inevitably, as we live life, there's things that uh, upset us and disappoint us and make us frustrated, right? All right, are we still listening this morning, right? I know I talk fast and I don't often give a lot of breaks, so if you're not expecting me to be quiet for a little bit, but inevitably in life, there are things that happen that upset us, right? Sometimes we can say there are things that 
we would say they upset us for the right reason. We call that righteous anger, right? So sometimes that's true. But sometimes it's just because our selfishness got stepped on. Because our pride got dinged. Because something didn't go the way I wanted it to go. We'd love to sit here this morning and claim that they're mostly in this category, the, the righteous ones, and not as much in this category. But if you're like me, I'm going to sit on this side this morning because most of the time it's because something happened that didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And Paul says, I want to talk to you about that because if you want to claim that you walk as a child of light, then we should be very careful as to how we, uh, what kind of anger we have or how we allow ourselves to get angry with people. By the way, I don't know if you know this, the first part of that sentence, be angry and do not sin, is actually a quotation. Did you know that? It's a, it's a quotation of Psalm 4.4. Look up Psalm 4.4 sometime. Uh, it's a quotation of that. So he's not just like spinning something off on his own. It, he's quoting scripture. But in scriptures, I'm going to, before I come to the rest of that verse, I'm going to just remind us of a few other things that scripture says about anger. Because uh, not from this text this morning, but from other texts, we understand that it should take us a while to get angry, right? We should not fly off the handle just like that. For example, Proverbs 19.11 uh, says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Boy, if I could keep this in mind it would help me a lot. If I could keep in mind that it is to my glory to overlook things instead of getting offended by everything. James says the same thing. This is not in the New Testament. Perhaps the Proverbs of the New Testament, if you will. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if the true self is true righteousness and true holiness, then the anger of man does not produce that. The anger of man produces the old self, the false self. So we know now already that, based on those two verses I just read to you, that Scripture tells us it should take a long time for us to get angry with people. And then, look what the verse I just read. I don't know if you caught it, but it says that we should not let the sun go down on our anger, which means how long do we get to stay angry? Come on. How long do we get to stay angry? <laughs> no, some of you have, oh, I'm a little concerned. Some of you have this down to an exact, 11 hours and 59 minutes and 59 seconds, I could hang, yeah, right? <laughs> what if it's cloudy? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. We're feeling feisty today, aren't we? Hey. If you're like me, this stuff hits us right where we're sitting, right where we live life, right? For it's way too easy for me to get way too bent out of shape way too quickly about stuff that doesn't really matter because it's just something that's stepping on me. And then it's way too easy to hang on to that for way too long. The whole point of this is if we're going to walk as children of light, and we'll get to this at the end, but if we're going to walk as children of light, then we have got to find ourselves in places where we do not get angry very quickly or very easily, and if we do, it does not last very long. Now, by the way, I just want to, I want to give you my sense. I, I read commentary that actually indicated both ways, which was kind of weird for me, but I know there's people that look at this verse in verse 26 and say there's actually a command there to be angry. I disagree with that. That is not the impetus of the sentence. It is not a command that we should be angry. Because some people like to claim this, so that means I can be righteous. Like, I, don't, I don't think so at all. Given the thrust of the entire text, 
Look at where we're gonna end up today. The thrust of the entire text, I don't think that's, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not commanding us to be angry about things. He is saying, inevitably in life, you will experience anger because it's an emotion or when things don't go the way you want them to or when, and that sometimes it is because of righteous reasons, but be very careful. Be very careful. Because your anger is not doing something good. Because the next thing he says there is, he says, if you let the sun go down on your anger, if the anger is allowed to dwell there, to stay inside of you, then you are giving an opportunity, or the word is tapas, which means place or room. You are giving room to the devil. You're giving a place for Satan to work. So just put those two together in your heads, will you? That if we allow anger to be part of our lives and to stay inside of us, then we are giving a spot for Satan to be working in us. And I would tell you this is so illuminating because the Bible actually teaches the exact opposite should be happening. When Paul wrote his letter to the Romans in Romans 12, 19, he says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Right? Good, non-resistant Mennonite verses. But do you understand what he's saying there? When he says, don't avenge yourselves, but leave... That word leave is the exact same word I just read to you in verse 27 in Ephesians, tapas. But give room for God. So if I put those two things together, here's where it is. Because look at the sense, look at the subject of the sentence. It's about when we get angry, right? It's about when someone steps on us. It's about someone, when someone does something that hurts to us and we have a choice. We can get angry about it and we can hang on to that and we can say we want to make them pay for what they did to us or we, and which is by the way, just put that together, that's giving Satan room to work or we can say I will let go of it and forgive them and, and move on and not get offended by this even though I have every right to, I won't because that gives room to God to work. This is why we cannot be those people that take it upon ourselves to make people pay for what they've done to us. Because I'm telling you, if we do, we've just made so that God doesn't anymore. And I will tell you, God will do it much more exquisitely, much more appropriately, and with a bent towards repentance when we usually don't. We might claim we do, but we usually don't. Well, let's get to the second set. He talks about anger toward others. I think the next couple of verses are talking about our ability to bless others as we interact with people. Now, I know they're talking about two completely separate things, right? The first is that the person who is a thief should no longer steal, but he should do something where he should work with his hands. He should do something honest labor so he can earn some money. So it's, it's a physical thing. The second is that there should be no corrupting talk that comes out of our mouths, but only talk that's good for edification, for building up as fits the occasion. Stuff that's right, words that are right. So well, on one hand, we have a physical kind of example, and the other hand, we have, we have, a, we have a word kind of example, but they're both tied together because both of them end with the Greek word hina, which you don't need to know that, but it means so that. There's a so that attached to both of them. Why should we know? Now, I mean, this is not the only reason because clearly in the Bible, God says we should not steal. So, but one of the reasons Paul says, you know what? You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't take advantage of other people. You shouldn't just rest on what they're doing and expect them to give it to you. You should work hard with your own hands so that you might have something that you can share with someone else that's in need. That is walking as a child of light so that you have something that you can share with other people who are in need. Now you see that he's actually gonna come to the same so that. Because he says, by the same token, the things that come out of your mouth, the topics that you talk about, the, the, the words that are coming out of you, they should not be such that corrupt, 
They should not be such that, that, that destroy things. They should be words that build things up, build people up, that are encouraging, that, that, are, that are perfect for the situation as God speaks through you so that it may give grace to those who hear. You see, both of those, though they are about two separate things, both of them are about walking as children of light and understanding that that means, as I interact with people, that the things I have are there to be a blessing to others and the words I say are there to be a blessing to others. That's how I love my neighbor, right? That's how I love my neighbor. That's literally how I do it. I help them by the things I have and say, hey, you can have some of this because I have plenty and you, don't, you need it right now. And I help them by saying things that are nice and good and kind and build them up and not that tear them down and criticize and do all kinds of other nasty things. And certainly not any kind of foolish or coarse talk, which is going to come down in the next chapter yet. We're not there yet. This is still just to think, hey, listen, it's, it's your false self. It's your sinful false self that says evil things about people. That doesn't encourage them that wants to hoard things for yourself. That's your false self. That's not the true self that God created you to be. That's not what Jesus set you free to be able to do. Love each other. Speak the truth with your neighbors, for we're members of each other. This is where the rubber meets the road. Do I get angry? Do I harbor my anger? Do I let stuff bother me for days on end? Am I willing to share what I have with people? Am I generous? Do I give them my leftovers? Do I not give them anything at all? Do my words build up? Do I say nice things to people, about people? Would my words be categorized as giving grace to those they hear or do they bring something else to those they hear? You see, we're no longer talking theoretical stuff, are we? <laughs> we're no longer saying, yeah, 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 I believe that. That's good stuff. We're saying, huh, what do I see when I look in the mirror? What do I see when I open up what's inside of me? What do I hear when it comes out of my mouth? And then I think Paul goes and goes right down to the, right down, I've been talking about the inside here, but he goes right down to it. The last two verses, verse 31 and verse 32, have to do with our inner attitude about other people. Look at those words. Now you could, when at first glance you might look at those, those words that we should not be, bitter, wrathful, anger, clamoring, slandering, malice, and the words we should be, kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, those kind of, we could look at those and say, well, those are sort of like individual things. But again, in the context of this discussion and how we treat each other, every one of those is actually words about how, what, about our attitudes towards other people. Bitterness. You know, where does that bitterness come from? It comes when we are envious or jealous or we've been, when we're hanging on to those, those hurts that we have, the, the anger that we have inside of us and we just keep hanging on to it. That, that turns into bitterness, this little bitter root that creeps up inside of us and just, just colors everything nasty and makes the things that come out of us all be nasty because we can't wish good to anybody because because of what's happening inside of us. But it's our general attitude towards other people. That wrath and the anger, that clamoring, that, that those loud outbursts, that, that continual drive to stir things up and to, and to, and to rouse things around and rattle things around and, and to slander. Boy, I'm telling you, in our culture, this may be the one, I, th I think I've mentioned this several times, uh, post-pandemic, 
post-pandemic. You know, I was really disappointed with a lot of things that our government did. I was really disappointed with a lot of ways that society around us responded. I was, I was really disappointed with, with just sort of the, the general way that things, but none of that touched anywhere close to my extreme sadness at how the people who called themselves the people of God treated other people. And that word slander, I think, is, I, I, I have, in my experience, and I'm not that old yet, but in my experience, I have not ever seen an environment where believers feel so free to slander other people. And the root is coming at the end of the verse there. I don't have the verse up there, but verse 31. He mentions all those bad things, but he says the root of it is that last word, malice. Because that's the intention of what's happening inside of us. That we want what's good for us and bad for everyone else. Now, we would rarely say that's what we actually want. Right? I hope so, right? You would rarely say that's what you actually want. That you want bad things for other people. But I would just ask us again to assess how we treat them, how we talk to them, what we share with them, what we withhold from them, all those things that we're talking about this morning, and to say, that does reveal what's actually true inside of us, doesn't it? And of course, I'm not even having discussions at this point about whether we're talking about malice towards people within the church or malice towards people outside the church. The reason I didn't really talk a lot about it, but the reason I gave you Jesus' example about a neighbor in the Good Samaritan story is that the whole point is it doesn't matter. I don't think it matters. A neighbor defined by scripture is not by those that sit in the pews with you versus those that don't come to church or vice versa or, or neighbors, not those that live right next to you and not that live 10 miles away from you. That's not what a neighbor is. A neighbor is the people that you're around, the people that you interact with, the people that you have opportunity to rub shoulders with as you go in and out and here and there day to day. But, that's the bad list. Let's look at the good list because I think that's really a lot more productive. And it's pretty short, right? Take heart. It's pretty short. But boy, does it pack a punch. Be kind to one another. Maybe because of the comment I made about the slander, I just should follow it up and just say, I, it, I, I, was, I was sitting at my desk this week and, and looking at this and, and I was studying for this and I, I, I just couldn't help but realize that I feel like kindness is something that we've lost. I think we struggle being kind to each other. I think culture around us is helping us go down that road to say you don't have to be kind to people, but I think kindness is something we're losing to our detriment. Well, certainly because it's right here, right? It tells us that when we should walk as children of light, that when we speak truth to each other, that we're kind to each other. We are tender-hearted. We're tender-hearted. That's a, that's a, that speaks of an emotion that comes deep down inside of here. It's, the, it's a form of the word splunknen. It's actually you splunknen, meaning we should have it for each other, this tender-hearted feeling for each other. But it's actually the word kind I'm going to come back to because that word kind is such an interesting word. It's so instructive. The Greek word for kind is Christos, which, again, you don't need to know that word necessarily. But it's actually used a couple different places in Scripture, and as we, I'm going to point out to you in a little bit, that there may be some interesting and light-shedding uses for us. The word kleistos means goodness, um, but goodness that is useful. Because there's a, there's a part of that word that has, has to do with, with that, that, is, that is worth something. It's useful. It, 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 it does some good. does some benefit, excuse me. So goodness that is useful. Keep that in mind. 
goodness that is useful. Being good to someone for, with a purpose, that accomplishes them. In other words, when he's saying we're, be kind to each other, it's not just that, like, well, because we're really nice people, we're kind to each other, but that it accomplishes something. Let me show you one of the places that this word is used. I don't think you probably knew this, unless you're a bigger nerd than I am. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that word easy is actually the same word, Christos. My yoke is good, but it's useful. It, it does something. It, does, it brings about something good in you. Jesus' yoke is good and useful for you. It's beneficial to you to be in Jesus' yoke. Now, here's another place this word is used. It's actually translated the same way, but it's a word that we don't often think about very much. Romans 2 verse 4 says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? They actually used twice in that verse. So you can probably pick them out. It's the word kindness twice. You see, God's kindness toward us is meant to accomplish something, right? God loves us. He loves us tremendously. He is infinitely kind to us. He forbears with us and all of our bumbling around. He is patient with us to no end. But all of that comes with a purpose so that we would repent and turn back and come to him. Now think of what I just shared with you and what Paul says we should be kind to one another. It is almost as if we are to be like Christ to each other, that our kindness is supposed to lead people to repentance. And when I say that, when I say it's almost like that, I mean it's actually literally like that because that's what Scripture says, that we are to be Jesus to each other. We are to be like God to each other, that we are kind to each other because that kindness is meant to lead people to repentance. I think it's why Jesus says when you have an enemy, you don't fight back against them, but you do nice things to them. Well, that's kind of how God operates. Be kind to one another. Be good to one another. But may your goodness be useful. May it bring about that which God desires in them. Now, of course, people make choices, right? Not everyone that God is kind to repents. But our position as believers certainly should be that when God is kind to us, it leads us to repentance. It's not that, whoo, now God gave, gives, gave me five more years to deal with my sin in my life because he's kind to me. Is that what it means? No. It's meant that he did not strike me dead right then and gave me a chance to repent. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgive each other. And can I just point out, I mean, you know this, but can I just point out, God is always holding the trump card in this, right? God always has the trump card. You cannot end a section of text with these words, we should forgive each other as God and Christ forgave you and then somehow have any room left for any of our arguments, right? But what they did was so, how did God forgive you, right? But they were so, uh, how did God forgive you? It was totally interesting. How did God forgive you? You see, every excuse we begin to make must, must, it must fall completely flat and utterly helpless before this. That God forgave you long before you cared a bit about him. <laughs> it is astounding to me how often we think we have some kind of right to hang on to and not forgive someone for something they've done to us. <laughs> right? 
And I'm not negating the pain of when people hurt us. I'm not, I'm not arguing about how much that hurts. I'm not arguing about how difficult it is. I'm not talking about that, that somehow that doesn't mean anything, that we should just forgive because it's easy. No, I'm simply telling you we cannot have any excuse because God looked at us in all of our sinfulness and sent Jesus to die on the cross and brought him back out of the grave so that you can now turn to your fellow neighbors and say, as God in Christ forgave me, I forgive you. May it be so. If you are looking back through that list that we have, that our, our, the reality of us walking as children of light is dependent on how we deal with anger in other people and how we are able to bless other people or not bless other people and, and, and be selfish and how, what, what our inner attitude towards people really is. If you're looking at all that and saying, that's a tall order and I'm trying as hard as I can but it doesn't work, I would tell you that's exactly right. If you're trying really hard on your own, it's not gonna work. It's why we have this verse in here, which is gonna be my final point. It's why we have verse 30 in here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, Paul, is, of course, is tying back to what he's talking about, the Holy Spirit, back in verse, uh, chapter 1. You can go back and read those in your own. Part of the blessings we have in, Christ, in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. But he's saying here that we should not grieve him because what he's helping us to see is that there's a principle in Scripture that is so very clear that we must come back to over and over and over again. You know, Jesus said these words. He said, every healthy tree bears good fruit and every diseased tree, or but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. What's Jesus saying? How do we interpret that? Only well, simply saying what's in here is gonna come out. You're not gonna get good stuff out here if it's rotten in here. By the same token, if it's good in here, you're gonna get good stuff out here. You're not gonna get rotten fruit off of a good tree. The same principle between the inside and the outside is made brilliantly clear in the book of Proverbs. Now, we miss it because it's a chapter, or sometimes we miss it because it's a chapter break in between. But in Proverbs 14.30, we read this. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Ha. We awake this morning, church. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Now, that's dealing with inside, right? A tranquil heart, a heart at peace. That gives life to our flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. But do you know what it says just a couple of verses later? Now, it's a new chapter, but a couple of verses later, Proverbs 15, 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Now, what you don't see in the English there, because I'm not sure why they did, but what you don't see in the English there is the word for tranquil, a tranquil heart, back in chapter 14, is the exact same word for gentle, a gentle tongue. You see what's, what, what the point he just made? In here, a tranquil heart is life, but there's envy that rots. That's what's happening inside of here. When it comes out, the tongue that speaks comes out of the heart, right? Out of the, out of the, out of the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what Jesus said. So when it comes out, that same tranquil heart comes out in a tranquil tongue, if you want to put it that way. The same gentle heart comes out in a gentle tongue. And it's a tree of life to those around you. But perverseness or crookedness or brokenness or deceitfulness in it breaks the spirit. So not only... If it's not right in here, are you damaging and breaking yourself? But it's gonna come out and you're not gonna damage and break other people. You already, all know, you already know all of that, but the point is what I have to tell you this morning is when we look inside of ourselves, despite what the culture around us wants to tell us, when we look inside of ourselves, we are not going to find the solution to the problem of helping us to live as we should with each other. We're not gonna drum up kindness and tenderheartedness for each other. We're not gonna drum up the ability to not to be slow to anger and to let that anger die off before the sun goes down. We're gonna hang on to every single 
hurt and bitterness that we can, and we're going to fight for everything. We're going to claw and scratch away to protect everything that we have to make it ours. That's what we do when you look inside of ourselves. So the reality is if you don't want that to be true, then something has to change in here. Something has to be replaced in here, which is why he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember, he already said this to the church. In him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling in all of us together and in, of us, in us individually. When he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, I believe he's talking about this when the Holy Spirit comes to us and helps us to see that we have not put off the false self as we ought to and helps us to see that something needs to be changed. And when we look at that and say, uh, I want to be angry about this. Uh, I don't want to give this away. Uh, I want to say this unkind word about this person because I don't really like them. And I think it'd be really fun and make me look better to slander them to somebody else. Or we say, uh, I want to, they're not really that cool and I want to kind of wish ill toward them. I don't want to be kind to them. When we do that, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. We're making him sad. We're making him weep actually. Because he is bringing about what is the true self in us and we're saying, no thank you. So if we want any of these things to be true in our lives, then what we must be interested in is having more of the Holy Spirit inside of us and being more responsive to him when he begins to touch us and move us and speak to us. Remember this whole, we went to this a couple weeks ago, this whole put off, be renewed, put on. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's when he reminds us, as he's done with me so many times, Hey, Merlin, you flew off the handle and you got angry. Hey, Merlin, you went to bed and you were angry still. You did not forgive as I forgave you. Hey, you got a little selfish with that stuff of yours. Hey, your words may not have been the kindest words. Your attitude towards that person really wasn't that good. And he's wanting to remind us that there's this old false self that needs to be put off to be renewed inside of us and to put on the new self that's created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It is that process we're talking about. And again, it's an ongoing process because unless you're not like me, I had an anger problem and the Lord has helped me deal with it, but I still, I, I could probably point at least, my kids could probably point at least one time this week that I raised my voice with them and I was more upset than I ought to have been. I was not very quick to, uh, very, very quick to hear and very, I was being a little too quick to speak and a little too quick to get angry. So it's an ongoing process. I tell you again, the end result of this message, if we want at all to be walking as children of light, is to say, I need more of the Holy Spirit and I need to be more responsive to him when he begins to tap on my heart and say, this isn't right. Would you stand this morning? We're going to pray together. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to pray for the meal. But I'm also going to pray that if that's your desire, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and to be responsive to him. And I'm just going to tell you up front, if you are bold enough to do that, that it might be even something that he tells you right in this moment, something that needs to change, and it's testing your responsiveness to him. You must answer to that yourself. You, I, I, can, I, can, I can talk up here until I'm red in the face loudly, that you should respond to the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't do any good. You must decide in your own hearts that the Holy Spirit 
It does, you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit and you want to be responsive to what he said to you. So, God, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for uh, this text that is oh so practical. And uh, when I say thank you, uh, by that I mean I realize that it, that it dings me and it steps on my toes and it hits me in my shins where it's painful. But I need that and I thank you because I know that means you care about me and you want me to grow in holiness. You want me to become more, you want me to be more of my true self like you created me to be holy and righteous not my false self of, 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 of angry Merlin or selfish Merlin or uh, Merlin who wants to get whatever he wants. I, I want less of him. I want him to die, put him to death. I want to be renewed in my mind, in my spirit, and I want to put on the new self that you've created me to be. I thank you that you have begun that process already, not just, excuse me, not just for me, but for many people here in this room, but that does not change the fact that even as we're here, whether we have just started walking with you, Jesus, whether we're just thinking about walking with you or whether we walked with you for decades already, that we recognize this ongoing process of the Holy Spirit working in us. And we don't want to grieve you this morning, Holy Spirit. We want to respond to you. We want to be obedient to you. We want to give you the freedom to speak to us, to put your finger on anything in our lives, to encourage us in any way or to correct us in any way. And we want to receive it from you this morning. We want to humble ourselves, yield our will to you so that when you... Uh, want to bring something about in us, then we'll be, say yes to you. Holy Spirit, you know what those things may or may not be here among us, so I don't need to describe them. I don't need to go on about them. I simply need to let you do your work, and so I want to do that.